This is another um, installment of the Weird Pastors Kid. Um, I am your host, Shelton Williams. I have a special guest on the podcast. Um, and could you just let the people know who you are, man? All right. I am Stephen Quattro. I'm 27 years old. And I have known Shelton for, uh, it's almost 10 years now. Oh, my goodness. You make me sound old, man. Oh, my soul. <laughs> Yes, man, that is true, man. It's been it's it's almost ten years. Goodness gracious! Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. I didn't even think about that till just now. Um, but yeah, man, we've known each other for for a little bit, and I'm really happy to have Stephen on. We're gonna talk about a host of different things. I know I let you guys know last episode that we were going to, that this this episode that, that we're doing right now we're going to address the article that um that just um broke just uh, like a week ago. Um, we're going to talk about that, too, as well. But we're going to um, deal with all that, um, you know, later on in the podcast. But first, um, we're still doing this um, series. Or I'm interviewing people about why they left the church. And Stephen is someone that I am happy to, to for him to share his story, to share, you know, his reasons about why he left the church. And uh, we're really just going to dive into this topic and try to get as um, try to get as much as we can get into this podcast um, for this hour that we have together. So, Stephen, could you just let the people know, like, um, just basically your how you you know your relationship with church, like how long you were in church, you know, like you know you were in church since you were a kid, right? Like it's been it was a long you had a long amount of time in church, is that right? Yes, that's correct. So I've been in the independent fundamentalist Baptist church since I was since birth, actually. And then mm. I would say I left around the time I was 20 years old. So I spent a good two, solid two decades in the church. Wow. See, see, this is somebody, because see, the thing is, what a lot of people aren't realizing or they don't, they don't understand is that there's a lot of people who are leaving the church who they, they haven't just been in church for like five minutes and then they decided to leave. But these are people that they had invested much of their lives into church, invested mu- much of their lives into, you know, going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, got to go to those three services, you know, um, you know, so these are people that have had, you know, time in church yet now because of situations that have gone on they realize, man, I don't know if this church thing is, is, is for me. And um, Stephen, let me ask you this too. I know you said you've been in independent phone Baptist churches basically since you've been born. Um, but were you one of those people that, you know, you only went to church like, you know, once every six months or when, or was you and your family one of those people that you guys went to church a lot as a kid? Uh, we we went regularly Sunday morning, Wednesday night. Um, we some friends of my parents actually started their own church when I was around two to three years old, and I think my parents were one of the like first families. They weren't the first families, but like maybe in the first ten to dozen families that went to that church, and they still go to that church to this day. It was around 1994 when it started. So we were definitely very, very involved, went every single week, and uh, it wasn't something we just, you know, did once in a while. Yeah, exactly. So you're somebody that you, you know all the Christianese, right? Like, you know all the, well, let's say this, you might have been, you know, right now you've probably been away from the church for a little bit, but you still have some of those Christianese, like the language that, that a lot of people spoke you still have some of that in the back of your mind still to this day. Am I right? Yes, definitely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So now, okay. So you, you, someone who's grown up in church, you've done this whole church thing. And I really want to, to, to point the listeners, you know, really to, to your story kind of a little bit here and, 
you're somebody who I, I, you know, I've known you for a while. Like, I, I love the fact that we, one thing that we have in common is music because we both love music. We both love um, to sing. We both love just, just everything about music we love, right? Like, yes. it's something that we connected with and it's just something that we really, you know, have that in common. So, like, I've known you for a while. And as we've gone on, on this journey of knowing each other, there was something that you, I guess, it's not because you, you were trying to, um, to to hide yourself from me personally, but there were some things that I didn't know about you until later on in our in our friendship journey, right? So there was um, a time where you came, like basically you came out, you let people know that you were attracted to people of the same sex. But before you kind of get into that that period where you came out to, I don't want to say the world, but to basically the world of your conservative Christian base or audience there, before you did that, I, I want you to tell the listeners like how you wrestled with that. Like when, when was the first instance of you realizing, you know, that, you know, I kind of, I like the same sex. I know for a lot of people, you know, with similar stories, they knew that from when they were young or, or, or they knew, you know, that, you know, that they, you know, liked, you know, someone of the same sex, even when they were a, um, a kid. But can you kind of explain that to the listeners? Yes. I, I definitely had an experience like that where these, feelings and attraction started, you know, when I was going through puberty. And I even remember, maybe even prior to that, um, making a comment to my mom about how I thought our, our male doctor was cute. And I remember her correcting me saying like, Oh, we don't say that. And that was even before I even know, knew what that meant even but I just it was something that just came out of my mouth. Um, but definitely when I was going through puberty, starting to feel you know, sexual attractions, um, you know, these things were coming up and I knew it was different and it felt wrong, but I, I wouldn't say that I considered myself gay at that point just because I didn't, you know, it was, it was not something I associated with myself as a term. It was just, I, in my mind, I was struggling with these feelings that were wrong. Right. Right. Okay. And when did you, and, and I'm guessing that, you know, with, with like your church and everything that, that you grew grown up around, what were their teaching about homosexuality? And maybe they didn't really teach it, maybe, maybe because a lot of times people are scared to touch the topic. But did you have like a general feeling that, you know, that they didn't really like, you know, uh, people with same sex attraction? Well, it was definitely very clear how the church felt. You know, it was considered an abomination. Um, you know, any Baptist church you go to, if, if the topic is ever brought up, it's very clear that, you know, they consider it to be an abomination. It's not something that, you know, was taught from the pulpit every Sunday morning because, you know, clearly they don't think that their own con has any struggle with it or is going through it. It's more something you would hear about if you were to talk about what the things are going on in the world. Like I remember when New York State legalized gay marriage in 2011, you know, they brought that up in church because it was a big deal to them. Um, sometimes the, the men in the church would go to the gay pride parades and, you know, preach on the street, hand out literature, and they would discuss it then. Um, so I, I definitely knew where, you know, my parents and where the church stood on that Right, topic. right. And even, I think I'm, you mentioned it to me before, that they they view homosexuality as, as this kind of, kind of like gross, like gross um, uh, thing. And they, and, and you were telling me that, you know, you know, even though they were having this for them, quote unquote, ministry at the gay pride, you know, um, events, you even let me know that they were telling people that, hey, you know, we don't want any women or kids with us. Only the men can go to this type of thing. 
isn't that kind of what um they kind of was because they kind of made people feel like okay this is the worst thing imaginable you guys cannot go into this vile you know environment is that kind of how it was yeah it was you know they didn't allow women or children to go with them to those parades because you know people they would say people were exposing themselves or you know acting in inappropriate manner so it was something that only the men were allowed to do so i never actually went to one um when i was in the church i would just hear about it but yeah it was considered to be deviant behavior you know very wicked um and even though my church maybe specifically didn't um touch on it a lot or didn't use a lot of you know strong um language against it there were other baptist churches that i went to that were much more um you know, dramatic about it. I remember someone making a joke about having a t-shirt that said, save a deer, kill a queer, something what? like that, that my church would never, ever make a joke like that. But there were people in, you know, the independent fundamentalist Baptist movement that did feel that. Wow, way. man. Oh, that's terrible. Okay. I, 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 let me just, cause I know a lot of people don't really kind of, they don't really understand a lot about independent formal Baptist in general. We'll talk about it a a lot more in the podcast, but I want to kind of touch on it. You know, a lot of times with independent formal Baptists, their their teaching is that they're independent, they're separate. You know, that they have their own level of thinking. But a lot of these churches, they all kind of are connected, right? Like they all, you, you end up going to a lot of their events, and they come to yours, and like everyone has this weird connection with each other, um, with with in, in different events and different things, so that. It um for a lot of these people like you your church may not have been like that but yet your church may have been connected with other churches that are independent fundamental Baptists that may have um more of that type of view when it comes to homosexuality is that right to say like were they connected with your church or how did that go? Yeah, I mean like within the community we people kind of know other people. You go to to conventions and, and conferences or revival meetings or camp meetings and they you know you end up meeting other preachers and you go to their church and meet their people so it's even though every church is unique and every every church has its own kind of distinct flavor so to speak um you definitely know other people within the community and there's different subgroups you know there's the you know the ruckmanites there's like the pensacola christian college crowd there's the bob jones university crowd so like there's different subgroups within the community but we're all aware of each other and we all kind of you know, we've met many different people in the community. Right, right, okay. And we'll kind of dive into that a little bit more. But let's go back, you know, um, speaking more from your story here. You you knew kind of from a young age, you kind of had the feelings of, of, of the same sex. And even you, you this wasn't something that was, um, you know, you were just a kid saying, oh, I think that, that he's cute or I think this is cute. So even at like a young age, you, it was something that was natural for you to say, man, I feel like, you know this guy or this person you know is cute and everything so let me let me go this way i'm gonna assume and this is just me making assumptions here so tell me if i'm wrong i'm going to assume though that like your teenage years when you're going into like puberty i feel like maybe the you know those formidable years might have been a lot tougher in that environment that you grew up in is that was that right to say oh yeah those <laughs> those years were pretty rough because you know every every kid that goes through puberty, that's a rough time as is. But when you add into the fact that you're in a very conservative environment where expressions of any sexuality outside of marriage straight or otherwise is considered wrong. 
And then you add on top of that, that you're having these attractions and feelings that are considered wrong. It just makes for this whole mishmash of very, it was just a very confusing, tumultuous time for me. And how, like, during this particular time, was there, like, a time where you were, like, wrestling with your feelings and wrestling with, like, your relationship with God at this time? Like, was, you know, were you wrestling with that at all? Like, or was it just more like, um, how do you, you know, handle these particular feelings? Or, or was God really in your on your mind, you know, while this all this was going on? I mean, God was definitely on my mind in the earlier years, you know, as it, you know, as I grew older, there were times where I would kind of go away from a personal relationship, you know, and come back to it. But definitely in the early years, like I felt a lot of guilt, you know, I, I wanted to be normal, I wanted, you know, for this all to be taken away, because it, you know, it, it felt wrong to me. So yeah, there was definitely it's kind of this internal battle between what I felt was my conscience telling me this is wrong. And then, you know, me feeling this way. And so now I want you to think, okay, so I want you to go through all of these stages of your growth here. Let me, let, cause I'm going to ask you two questions. And, um, and the first question I want to ask you this, was there ever a time that you ever asked God to take that attraction away or take, you know, cause you, I know you just said, you mentioned that you wanted to be quote unquote normal, but was there ever a time where you asked God, like, God, I don't want this, you know, I don't want this in my life. Was that something that you ever asked? I believe I did. My memory is a little bit fuzzy about that time in my life, but I'm almost sure that there was a time that I, I asked God to, to take it away or make me normal. I don't know that I would have used the term straight or gay at that point. Cause I think I was too young to really consider myself as 100% gay but, you know, it's definitely something that I feel that I ask God to take right, away right. or to change yeah. about me. And then when you went, when you got to, to um, uh, college, uh, Pensacola Christian College, you know, very conservative um, college as well. Were you still, um, were you, where were you at in your journey at that point? Like basically, you know, freshman year, you're there. Were you still um, wrestling with it? Was it something that, you know, what, how were you feeling at that point in your life? At that point, I think I was more aware, you know, that I had definitely gay inclinations, but I think I was still kind of in denial in the sense that I thought if I got a girlfriend, maybe that would change things. So, um, you know, there, there was times in college where I, I wanted to have a girlfriend, you know, I wanted to, to see if that would change things. I never, it never worked out. I never had one, but, um, even up till college when I was, you know, 18, 19, um, that was a thought of mine that like, maybe if I could start a relationship with a woman that, that would kind of make things better. Okay. And then, okay. So you're thinking this whole time. So this whole time, like God is, is there, but not really there. Like you would have this back and forth relationship with God and was, it was the back and forth relationship with God because of this issue or was it just, or was it other things as well? There were definitely other things, you know, I had, a, a tough relationship with my parents in my teen years, but just, you know, I disagree with some things, the way they were parenting. I was a very kind of rebellious teenager, very vocal, um, very disrespectful. Um, so the gay thing was kind of an underlying thing that, that contributed to it, but I wouldn't say it's 100% the reason that, you know, I had issues with a relationship gotcha. with God. So you have all this. And then let me ask you this too, because I think this is something I, I never even asked you this before ever, but, did you ever remember having um, a time where you um, 
you know, you got quote unquote, let's because I, I, I don't, I can't think of a better word, way to, to say this question, but quote unquote saved. Like, what was, was there like a moment in your life or what was your, um, what was your story even in, in your, what was your salvation story, if I can say it that way, um, that, that you had? Um, I actually have like multiple because I was one of those young people that would constantly doubt it. So I can give you multiple days. There was July 6th, 1996, April 28th, 1998, May 9th, 2002. Wow. Like I would have these times where like I would get saved, you know, the way you were supposed to, and I'd be fine for a while. And then, you know, a few years later, I would doubt that I did it for the right reason or did I, you know, did it really take, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I had many of those salvation moments. Mm. Yeah, okay. That's because, man, I didn't even know that. So you had three different times that you can think of right now that you were like, okay, I'm quote unquote saved now or like, man, but it was just this constant back and forth of doubt that you had to, that you, that you dealt with. And was that, okay. And was in, in the reason why you probably reason why you doubted, was that really just, you know, with, uh, was just because of how it was taught at that time, like at your church to where you always was like almost questioning it. Like, cause sometimes how I grew up too, I heard a lot of sermons like, well, if you didn't really mean it, did you really, really mean it when you said it? And so it almost put those doubts in your, in your mind. Was that, you know, kind of the teaching, was that what led to it or what? I don't remember what exactly prompt each okay. like conversion experience, but I do know that, you know, the preachers would come in and they would always approach something from a new perspective. So someone would talk about salvation, you know, in the terms of it's a free gift, et cetera, et cetera, take the free gift. And so you'd, you'd pray and you take it. Then another preacher would come in and talk about how the repentance aspect of it. And if you're really not truly repentant of your sins, then you're not truly saved. And it's like, oh, man, did I really repent the first time? And then it's oh, so I it's every I think it had more to do with the different perspectives on the salvation experience that kind of led to the doubt and i was like oh i don't know if i was really thinking that part through when i did it the first gotcha, time gotcha. and so now what was the um the term okay because now we're going through your your journey a little bit and then now you're at a point and i think this was in oh my soul 2011 if i'm wrong if you correct me was it, I think it's the summer, I think it's July of 2011 is when you kind of came out. Am I wrong with the year? Is uh, 2012. 2012. Okay. But you yes. got the month oh, right. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. July of 2012 is when you, you got the courage to finally tell this to Facebook, so to speak. Okay. Now, let me, let's rewind this because I know, guys, let me, I just want to tell everyone this you're you can be friends with somebody without making it facebook official you can actually date somebody without making it facebook official okay however sometimes though there are certain instances of your life that you don't feel like you need to hide it anymore and steven just at that point felt like you know what i'm just gonna tell people hey this is who i am and you know and let the chips fall where they may but where what led you though to that point to where you were saying you know what i'm going to let this facebook world know you know who exactly i am so i left college in 2011 and sometime between around that time and the time that i came out of facebook i kind of came out to myself where i finally said okay i am a gay man you know these are primarily my attractions they're not going away and that's when i actually i started seeing other 
you know, other guys. And I think it was 2011, late 2011. So the next step after that was, you know, do I let other people know? Mm. Um, and I remember even at work, my, uh, my coworkers who didn't know at that time, you know, they even took me out to a strip club once and, you know, pay for a lap dance. So I'm, you know, having to pretend to enjoy it more than I am. Um, so it was a lot of just pretending. And I was talking to one of my other Christian gay friends who had come out, you know, a few months earlier, and he was really encouraging me. And it was just one night I was sitting in my bedroom, you know, at my computer, and I, I just decided to, to come out, I kind of been debating, it. I think for a few days, and my friend and I have been going back and forth about it. And I just decided to do it. Um, now, the reason I chose Facebook over some other method, uh, it was a little, it was a mixture of things. You know, one, I kind of wanted to, I think there was a part of me that wanted a little bit to make it public. You know, it's something I had internally battled and have been such a big deal for me for so long. I didn't kind of want it to just be swept under the rug or just kind of drift into the universe. I kind of wanted to make an announcement. And the other part was just more practical. It's, it's just, it's much easier just to tell everyone in one fell swoop instead of having to tell people. church people and then the relatives at Christmas and then, you know, your college friends. It's just, it was easier just to get it over with, you know, with the click of a button. That makes complete sense to me. What exactly, and can you tell the people, when you finally click send, you went to go do it, what happened on that day? Because a lot of people, you know, that are listening right now probably have, you know, have no clue or don't or don't remember or weren't you weren't there at that time in your life when your Facebook entirely blew up. OK. And can you kind of explain to listeners what happened when you after you click that that post button? So when I click post, my my heart was pounding out of my chest. I was so, you know scared, nervous, like there was no turning back now. And from there, people started commenting. And originally, it was very positive. I think um, my oldest brother was one of the first people to comment. And he was like, Oh, it's about time you came out like he had guessed, you know, he had kind of known for years. Um, and, you know, a few friends were very supportive. And then some other people started coming out of the woodwork. And the, the replies ranged from everything from you know, I don't agree with this, but I love you and I'll pray for you To There was this one preacher that was just ranting and going on about how he was glad I had never babysat his kids. Yeah. And he was, a, even, he was even attacking other people in the comment section that were trying to stick up for me. So it kind of got a little dramatic at some point, but it was a, it was a wide range of responses. It was a lot of positive. I made some new friends. I also lost some friends. So it was a big whirlwind of a lot going on in that comment thread. Because mm. I think at that particular time in your life, like you also, okay, so when you're going through all of this, you were still trying to figure out God, so to speak, right? You're still trying to figure that out. And then now these people who are supposed to represent for God wasn't exactly, um, how can I say, they weren't exactly being nice, okay? That's the best way to put it, towards you at this time. And was was like was like their response did that kind of like help turn you kind of more away from god at that point or were you already seeing yourself kind of like out the door from the whole religion in general well i had left my church um it was either the end of the previous year earlier that year so i had left you know i was not actively going to church but i still believed in god 
And I was still kind of struggling with reconciling Christianity with being gay, because in my mind, I still believed there was no reconciling. Mm. And a lot of the friends that I made after coming out, they were, they came from affirming churches, which I had never heard of at that point. Like I did not know that there was a brand of Christianity that actually affirmed and accepted LGBT people and thought it was perfectly okay. So that was a whole new world for me that I did. I did look into a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I was kind of already, you know, moving away from God and I never fully got back into it. Mm. So now here you have, and I think, let me ask you this too. How, cause I know you still are connected with people and friends, you know, besides myself, obviously who still like go to church, who still, uh, believe in God and do do those particular things do um, and I know you're still connected with them you know and, and, and everything like that do you have any relationships though with people that you feel like are genuine like do you feel like not all not every Christian is like fake or or or, or like you know what I mean like you're not not every Christian it, do, you know you have a negative experience with does that help at all or are you still kind of like like because you know what is your relationship with God now despite all this. So I, I do have a lot of friends still that are Christians. Um, I have friends from college um, and they're, they're very good people that they're, they're, some of them are very non-judgmental. So I do think it is possible to be friends with people that you don't agree with, because I know for a fact that many of them don't agree with how I live my life, but it doesn't come up. You know, they don't, you know, attack me about it. We just we maintain a friendship. So but as far as whether that encourages me to get back into religion, I would say no, just because I have my own issues with it apart from people's attitudes. Um, right now, I am an agnostic. I consider myself kind of pathetic agnostic, as in like, I don't know, and I don't care, in a sense, like, I don't know if there's a God or not. And I'm not really hard pressed to to find out, like, I don't feel a sense of urgency to really resolve that question in my mind gotcha you know and okay so you're getting on this journey what was all of the because i know we're, we're getting this you're, you're telling your story and i and i love it but i really would like you to kind of share with the people you know what was the reason why you decided to stop doing this this um you know this church thing and also stop doing this god thing what was it because it wasn't it doesn't seem to be only because of the church's stance on homosexuality it seems to be that there's other things too that that you know you know kind of helped you not to see God in a different way. Well, when I was growing up, especially in my teen years, guilt was a, a big part of my life. You know, because the our brand of religion, there's a lot of things you weren't supposed to do. It's like don't listen to this music, don't dress this way, don't watch this, don't feel this way about this person. So it you know, and when you you feel opposite of that, you feel guilty. You feel like you're doing something wrong. You feel shame. So at some point, I just got tired of it. It just felt to be too much work for me. You know, I would go in and out of, you know, a personal feeling of a relationship with God. Sometimes I would feel really close to my concept of God, and sometimes I didn't. And at some point, I was just kind of like, I'm, I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of fighting it. Like, I'm just going to do what I want, in a sense. And then after I kind of got to that point is when I started finding out more about the religion that I had left and finding out more about how other, you know, Christians lived, you know, the affirming Christians. And it, I kind of stepped outside the bubble and started to see what, what was wrong with the way I'd grown up 
and how some other people were living their Christian lives. But I think the hard part for me was that it was very hard to reprogram my concept of God from what I had been taught since a baby. So while these other ways of viewing God were maybe better or more attractive, it was hard for me just to switch to one of them, you know, in the blink of an eye, because I had this concept of God in my head that was ingrained in me from a child. And when you start to unravel that, you kind of start to think, well, if this was wrong, then what about this? And if this concept of God was wrong, what if the concept of God himself is not even real? So it just kind of, I was having this kind of existential crisis almost of like, well, what is even real when it comes to this stuff? And I really, at that point, had no energy and no desire to really get into it and find out once and for all for me, I was perfectly content with kind of moving away from it. I got you. Because this is what happened, and tell me, this is what happens with a lot of people. I'm going to mention two things, but this is the thing: your bedrock of your um, your Christian faith was built on a lie, right? So built on a lie of who God is, what God loved, what God enjoyed. So then, when you realize that the bedrock of your faith was built on a concept of God that was a lie, or a concept of God that wasn't exactly true, then it gets to a point of, well, you know what? Then forget this whole thing because everything my whole concept of who god is 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 on this foundation and if this foundation is shaky then why even move forward with my faith you know and i think what i'm reading a book and i and i read this book a couple times before but it's a book by aw tozer and he talks about how a lot of people have an image of god in their mind that's not the true like that's not truly who god is so what ends up happening is a lot of people what they do is they create idols of who God is in their mind and they're worshiping this idol and they're worshiping this idol and they're worshiping this idol and they think they're, they're worshiping the true God, but they never do. And so what ends up happening is these people who are worshiping a God, an idol of their mind, they're now poisoning people and teaching people the wrong concept of who God is. And now when people are realizing that the God that, that they were, that they were told about is a lie or the guy that God that they were told about isn't true or isn't real, then all of a sudden they're like, well, you know what? Then forget this God thing. Because the thing is, I've heard of stories from so many people that come from our circles and independent formal Baptist circles that begin to realize that the things that they were taught about who God is and what God liked was totally wrong. Because the thing is, and, 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 uh, and I know, Stephen, I don't think you came from this um, uh, strain of, of independent phone Baptist. I think you, the the uh, section the the um, church that you grew up in wasn't as bad, which I'm which I'm grateful for. But there are a lot of you know, and I don't want to just call it independent phone Baptist, but at the same time, this is all that I grew up in. So I have to tell my story about you know w- you know what I experienced in these type of churches. But for a lot of these um these churches here, they go ahead and they preach. All of these these things that it's not until you started reading your Bible that you realize that, hold up, what he told me that God didn't like this, but it's not God who didn't like this. It's you that didn't like this. It's this preacher that didn't like this. It's this pastor that didn't like this. It's this spiritual leaders that didn't like this. But the God of the Bible is the way you're representing him, the way that you're saying that he said these things. The God of the Bible is so different from the one that you're describing. And for me, you know, let me just, you know, I think, you, you know, you, you know about this as well. But for me, I grew up to where um, these people would preach against, oh, man, you know, women shouldn't wear pants. 
and and there was mm-hmm. and they didn't they they didn't just say that they, they they even told me and they taught me that a woman who wears pants can no can can't um can't be spiritual. Oh man, there's no way that you can be spiritual if you wear pants, right? So then all right. of this stuff and I'm, I've been raised this and I was taught this, right? And and what was confusing to me is I went to one church, um, I went to a school um uh, for one year, and this school that I went to for one year, um the teachers who were women um, wore pants at this school. And this was a, a school that was associated with independent phone Baptist as well. Um, however, they were a little bit more modern with their, with how they did their school and stuff. But the, some of the teachers wore pants. And I remember thinking to myself going, oh, these women can't be spiritual. And the reason why I, I said that, or I thought that is because I was taught that there's no way that a woman can be spiritual, have a right relationship with God. And she wore, wore, wore pants. And then it got to the point where when I went to Pensacola, when I started growing up, I started being connected with women who were far more spiritual than I was, who had a way better relationship with God. And guess what? They wore pants, you know? So then right. all of a sudden I started thinking, well, they're wrong about this. This isn't true. Like they told me that this, that there's no way you can be spiritual. Then they started, they, they, they taught me that, hey, there's no way that you can be spiritual and read a Bible that's not the King James Version. But then... Huh. I started getting taught and people that were teaching me the word of God that was way more spiritual than I. And guess what? They were using the ESV and they were using the NIV and they were using all these other these other um, versions that they were reading in their personal time. And then I started to think to myself going, huh, so there got to be a lot of other things that they're wrong about. You see what I'm saying? So it just it gets to a point where a lot of people, they grow, grow up in these independent fallen Baptist circles and they begin to to um, be associated with rules, be associated with, um, you know, different things that were, that are not God. And they, they dislike that. And for some reason they, they associate the rules and they associate the, the error with who God is. But honestly, that's not who God is because the God of the Bible and the God that these people represent are two totally different things. And I think that when I went to college is when I started to realize that how I was taught, was totally bogus there's a lot of things that i'm just like this is this is terrible and i think that you probably were associated with that too right where you were told oh man you can't do this you can't do that and it gets to a point to you know what you got to a point where you know i'm tired of being told what not to do let me just do how i feel is that was that what happened with you as well Right. Once one thing unravels, then you kind of start to unravel everything else. And you say, well, if this teaching was wrong, then what about this teaching? And then, you know, my mom would say, well, why don't you read the Bible for yourself and and figure out what it means? But then I was like, you know, 10 people can read the same exact Bible verse and come out with 10 different interpretations of it. So how, how do you know which is the right one? Every preacher claims to know you know, that theirs is the correct way. You know, the way I grew up felt very right to me when I was a kid. And now as an adult, I look back and realize how wrong it was. So that's where I kind of was at that point in life. Just saying like, I don't know if I can figure this out. And even if I could, I just at a point where I don't want to, I'm too tired of this. And so I just, I just needed to get away from it, you know, for at least a few years. I mean, as of now, I haven't gone back to it, but I just needed to just to take a break. You know, it was a lot because one thing w- that happens and not just, you know, and, and I think this is for a lot of churches. But I, like I said, I'm going to talk about independent form of Baptist because that's how I grew up. 
And when I grew up in these churches, it, you had a culture of hiding who you are. You, you, th- there are so many people who they can't live up to the rules that the pastor preached in the pulpit. They couldn't, re- re- they couldn't live out the rules that the pastor said, oh, man, you can't, you can't go to the movies. You can't do these different things. So there were so many people that went to the movies. Like I knew, I knew of somebody who they went to the movies in, in a totally different city. Because they're like, oh, I don't want to be a stumbling block to somebody else or whatever. But, 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 but it's just because you wanted to hide this. Because the way you wanted to, to be, you wanted to be yourself, but you're so scared or so afraid of what people are going to think. You're so scared and you're so afraid of what the pastor is going to say to you. You're so afraid about what, oh, man, what if this church member sees me here? And I'm just like, we, we grow up in that environment and it's so toxic and it's so terrible. You know, like I shouldn't be feeling bad for going to the movies. I shouldn't have to feel bad about doing certain things that are not sinful. These things that I'm doing are not even sinful, but because of how I was raised or how because of how I was taught, I'm over here like, oh, man, I'm scared to do this. I'm scared to do that. What if this person sees me? You know, to this day, there's there are things that I'm I'm scared to to post on Snapchat or I'm scared to post on my Facebook because I'm like, oh, what if someone doesn't think I'm a a good enough Christian for them? And then it's like I'm I'm, I'm really trying to um, rethink how I do this Christianity thing because I'm it's getting to a point to where independent Paul Baptists make you so afraid of them, make them make you so more afraid of who they are than who God is. And it's just that is that is such a problem where we love um, the praise of men more than we love the praise of God. And I think that is such a huge problem in independent Paul Baptist circles to where we're so afraid of being who we truly are. And, and, and did you notice that in, in like independent phone Baptist circus, circles that people were just so scared to be themselves? Well, I know that for us, you know, we, we sat in the front row at church, you know, we were, I feel like in some ways we were kind of like the poster children for good oh. Christians, but that, that wasn't always what happened, you know, at home. And sometimes it felt a little hypocritical to, you know, be fighting at home or whatever, and then go to church and, and look like we were the good Christians. And I think because IFB churches tend to be more segregated from the world because they want to be separate, that your only sense of community is within these churches. So these are your only friends and you, it, you do care about what they think about you. So I think that might contribute to what you're saying, where people do honestly, it matters to them if their pastor feels that they're doing the right thing or if their friend is judging them because that is their world. That is their community. These are their friends. Mm. And I think that they're, I think that we need to have a, a community of, if we're going to do this church thing, right. I think we need to just be authentic and real. I think, you know, I, I was watching and this is going to sound so funny, but I have to, I, I, whenever I'm watching something, I always associate it with Christianity or church or something. I always trying to think about how we can be better. But I remember a couple of years ago, I was watching uh, the show, um, I think it's called Sherlock, or I don't I forget. It's a Sherlock Holmes show, but it's from produced from CB, CBS. And I used to watch it a little bit more consistently. I don't watch it anymore. But Sherlock was like this addict of something. You know, he was trying to, to you, know, um, you know, be better, and he didn't want to be addicted to whatever he was addicted to. I can't remember, even remember what it was. But he was going to these AA meetings. And as he was going to the AA meetings, Everyone was was just honest about who they were, right? They were honest about, you know what, I, I, I messed up this week or I didn't do this or didn't do that. And I feel like 
Christianity should be more like that, where where people and I'm and I I'm not saying that we all should start airing out our dirty laundry or our sin, but yet I think that we should be more like we're not trying to be quote unquote perfect because we're trying to be Facebook Christians and not just and not just Twitter Christians. And I, I, I and, and sorry, what I mean by that is we're trying so hard to be perfect that mm-hmm. we're not being authentic we're trying so hard to just be like oh we we don't ever deal with problems we don't ever fight you know like i was gonna post on on uh, social media the other day just the fact that my, me and my wife we were, we were arguing heading to church the other day we over there argued we're heading to church sunday morning here we are arguing go right before church here doing and, and getting ready to do it you know do this you know church thing but we were just all upset and arms and here we are headed to church right but I mean, that's real life. There's going to be times where you're going to be upset with each other. There are going to be times where where things aren't going to you know go your way. But that doesn't mean that oh, I got to hide this from other people. Oh, I don't want this. I don't want people to to know about this. Or you know, I think that Christianity could go so much further if we would just be in real and just be authentic. And I think that would help the Christianity so much more than us trying to um, hide everything with a smile. Because that doesn't help people, you know. Do you know how many more people have come to me uh, recently? I posted on my on my Facebook that I I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with depression. Do you know how many people hit me up on my on my DMs going, "Wow, Shelton, I never knew. I, you know, I struggle with that too, and I didn't know other people struggle with that because they were they were taught that oh man, if you really love Jesus, you would have joy. If you really have Jesus, you would have all these other stuff and they were they were over here fighting a silent battle and yet they were so they were like man no one knows what i'm going through and yet i was just the one going hey i struggle with this and see the thing is you can be so people would love it so much more if we would just be real and authentic and stop being fake you know and i think that's what's hurting christianity is because we we want so hard to be perfect and we just need to just be real and that would go a, um, a mighty long way, in my opinion. What do you think about it? I mean, I definitely think that hiding things at the end of the day doesn't really do anyone any good. You know, we're all human beings. And honestly, one of the one of the reasons that pushed me to come out was my friend who had done the same thing. And, you know, he was real about who he was. You know, he had come from the exact same background I had. And it was encouraging to me to be able to do it myself. So I think, like you said, being open about things like, you know, having anxiety or just being a real person can help other people as well. Exactly, man. Exactly. And I think this community of like in this independent fellow Baptist circles, the reason why, you know, people, you know, the reason why things like this abuse that happened in the article, things of that nature happens is because we're so connected, like the independent fellow Baptist circles have a culture that can breed these particular things, can breed the abuse that we saw, now that we that we read about, I should say, and things of that nature in that in that particular article. And for some of the people that don't know, there, there was an article that just came out. You can Google it. It's on my Facebook. You can go can look it up. I'll, I'll put a link in the description for this episode so you guys can look it out. And just let you guys know, this is an ongoing investigation. So they're still going to, they're still planning on dropping more articles about the independent Fund Baptist um, church and just talking about how a lot of times, you know, there was this, there's a system of abusers 
who don't go, they, they don't end up going to the police. They don't, none of these crimes are reported. They just get moved to another church. And you know, they just started to sing the up, move to another church where they can just pray on other people. And so, um, and I know Stephen, you read the article too, right? Yes, I read. I read. Parts yeah, you of read. It. Par- okay, so you read parts of it. What were your What were your reaction when you saw when you know when you read the, these things? Let Let me just ask you this, and 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 just be honest, Stephen. Were you really surprised? I mean, some of the details were were pretty shocking, but the fact itself that abuse had gone on in those circles was was not surprising to me. Um, just because I had heard about this stuff, you know, shortly after leaving my own church, I had heard from, from other people who had left, you know, those circles that had experienced or heard about abuse. And at that time I was shocked. Like I had never heard of that going on, but as more and more stories came out, I was realizing, you know, kind of the dark underbelly to this whole community. So reading the article was just kind of more sad confirmation of that. Exactly. And I remember if, you know, for people who are who are been listening to each episode of this Why We Left the Church series, um, one of my good friends, Kelsa, she was sharing on the podcast about how she was she was she went to Pensacola Christian College. She was getting counseling about a certain issue and she brought to her counselor at the college about how she was sexually abused by someone that went to the church. And the person was like, no, 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 I'm going to stop you there. And stops her from saying and says, you know, I don't want you to to bring this up. Don't talk this about other people because it's going to um, it's going to be a bad light on the name of Christ. And I went and I was and and, and she would and then she then she began to um, ask my friend Kelsa, you know, oh, what she was wearing, and you know, you know, you know, what led, you know, the guy to 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 point her out. So as if she was the problem, you know, and. And that's the issue, you know, and I have such a huge issue with that is one, she was trying to say, let's brush this underneath the rug. It's a spiritual leader. So let's not talk about it. It's a spiritual leader. So let's not. And I'm just like, what? That That's your reaction. That's your response to her telling you this. You want to hide abusers just because they might be a quote unquote spiritual leader. And that's what I'm so upset about is if you call yourself a Christian and for some of these people they would they some of these people you've taught us you taught us the importance of of being um of being of repenting of our sins you told us the importance of of all of these different things of not sweeping things underneath the rug you told us the importance of being real of being authentic and, and being um, um true to ourselves to god you told us all these things yet yet you did not practice this because when push came to shove there were churches I want you guys to understand, these are not isolated incidents. This is a systemic issue in independent Foreign Baptist churches because there's over 400 allegations against over 100 spiritual leaders in these circles that are hiding abusers, that are, that are sitting back and say, oh, yeah, we, we knew about this abuse, but we're just going to put them to a different church. And then when that abuser goes to a different church, you know what they're doing there? They're sexually abusing other people there. They're, they're committing sexual assault on kids, on minors. They're doing terrible things. And yet all that this that this um, collection of, of these groups have been doing is just saying, oh, we're just going to just um, hide this. Oh, we're just going to. But yet at the same time, they're going to preach fire and brimstone from the pulpit about sins, about all these different things. And yet they didn't never it didn't doesn't seem 
like these same churches that did these things were really practicing the word of God. So now you have to think to yourselves, no wonder why people are leaving the church. No wonder why people don't want to have anything to do with God. Because if this is who what the church is supposed to be like, then why does what should anybody want to be connected with with God or connected with the church? Because we're we're seeing this system of people that are just hiding abuse, you know, and that just really really gets me upset. But that doesn't that doesn't even seem that surprising because of the culture that this this breeds, uh, or, or this culture that thrives on this abuse, you know. So what exactly? for people that don't really understand this you know what what would you think are um the things in this independent phone baptist uh culture that would breed this systemic abuse that we're seeing right now i think it's a mixture of things that together kind of creates this perfect storm of you know of a environment that kind of can allow this things to fester one of them i think is is just the concept of the pastor being the ultimate authority he's this this man of god who you're not supposed to question mm-hmm. you know and he's the one who preaches at you from the pulpit he's the one who reads the scriptures and interprets it and it's not that you're not reading it on your own but he's still you know more spiritually advanced than you are in a sense and so you listen to what he says so you have this this single individual in most cases that's responsible for a large number of people and if he's not going to sound the alarm on anything who are like how are the people under him going to feel comfortable nobody wants to go against him nobody wants to challenge him um that's one thing i think another thing is is distrust of the outside world you know, people don't report things to the police. People don't report things to social services. I remember as a child growing up, social services was painted as this institution that took children away from their parents. And, you know, because in our circles, you know, parents spank their kids usually. It was, oh, they may not understand how yeah, they may not understand that the how the Bible says about spanking. So they may take you away from your parents, you know. So it, social services was considered a yep. bad thing. I never thought of them as a good organization or a good thing until I was much, much older. So there's that distrust. It's like when abuse happens, are you going to call the police or a, a worldly institution to come in and help? No, you're going to talk to the man of God and see what he thinks about exactly. it. Exactly. Another, another thing I think con- that contributes to it is um, how women are treated differently from men wow. and you know, women are not supposed to speak in the church. They're, they occupy a very specific place. Oftentimes when something bad happens, they're blamed in some way. Mm. You know, like you brought up with your, with your friend, the question became, what were you wearing? What did you do to provoke this or encourage it to happen? Um, so it was often about not being a stumbling block. If someone is struggling, if a man is struggling with impure thoughts, it's, oh, Make sure you're not wearing something that's going to provoke him. And it's that culture of treating women in that way that creates an excuse for men that when something bad does happen, it's, well, she was doing this. And so oftentimes women don't come forward because they, have, they would have to share in the shame of what happened. And I think that no, no, I, dude, everything that you just said is so good, especially the, the woman aspect, too. Cause, and I want to and I want to talk about that in just a second. But keep going, because I have a, a, a response to that, because I feel like the way they treat women 
are in is a direct opposition to way Jesus treated women when he was when he was on earth. But go ahead and, and keep going though for me. And along those those same lines, I remember there was a pamphlet uh, that was at our church. It was called The Sin of Bathsheba. And from my understanding of it, it was about how when David sinned with Bathsheba, she was the sin that she made was bathing on the roof and exposing herself and creating, you know, some something tempting for David. And as an adult, I just look at something like that as as bizarre. Like, how can you blame a woman for the man's choice to commit adultery? Yeah. You know, how, how can you blame the woman for the, the king's choice to send her husband out into battle to get him killed? You know, the fact that they wrote an entire article highlighting that her immodesty was a sin just shows how deeply ingrained the culture was of blaming the woman, the, who in many cases was the victims of these abuses. And I think finally, the one thing that pops out to me that's a problem is the lack of teaching about consent. Yes. So when it comes to sex basically the rule is pretty simple anything before marriage you don't do it seems pretty cut and dry but they never teach the difference between having consensual sex outside of wedlock and raping someone or not getting proper consent so they're not teaching these because they want to avoid you know any type of sin it's don't do this before you're married don't have sex at all but what happens when someone does have an urge and wants to have sex they never teach them the, the the things about consent you know you're supposed to get the other partner's consent before you have a sexual relationship you can't just force yourself on them you can't do what you want to their body you don't own their body so when you combine that with the fact that there's the woman is often sharing in the blame when the man does something that's wrong sure they may acknowledge that he's wrong oh yes he did something inappropriate he had sex outside of wedlock or he abused this person, but then it always comes right back around to what was the other person wearing? What did they do? And so it's this blame sharing and the shame sharing that is really, it's really disgusting to be honest. You're absolutely right. And the, we treat women in our independent phone Baptist circles in, for the most part, like they're second class citizens. Do you, okay. And in, 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 to even to add on to what you just said, I remember there were times that there was, um, and I, I don't, I don't want to say her name on the podcast, so I won't say that, but there's a girl who, she was so spiritual, way more spiritual than some of the, the preacher boys that I had to hang around. And there were times that she would mention something to them about something about the word of God or something. They were like, no, they don't want to, they don't want to listen to da, da, da. But yet, if I told them the same thing that she told me, and we, well, there were times that we tested them on it. She would say something, you know, to them, and oh, they didn't want to listen to her. But yet she would allow, she would, t you know, uh, tell me something. I would share it with them. Like, oh, Shelton, that's wise. That's great. That's it. I'm just like, man, you guys don't even know how sexist you guys are. And the thing is, as men, and this is what it bothers me so much is we're supposed to be protecting our women. But for the most part, what all that we're doing in, in our circles is we're blaming them, blaming the victim, putting more pressure on them than needs be. And the thing is, what I didn't, let me tell you this. I have not when when I grew up as a teenager, I did not hear many sermons about men controlling themselves. How many sermons did you grow up hearing about men? Oh, you know, it's about men saying, you know, uh, it's not what she wore. It's about you controlling yourself because lust is a choice. And if lust is a choice, then you shouldn't be looking at her like that. You shouldn't be doing this. It doesn't matter what she's wearing. You need to look away. 
like my, my dad always said this is not the first look that gets you it's that second and third so a lot of times right. we're blaming the woman or we're blaming women or we're blaming i've heard um preachers preach messages pretty much at a woman because she a woman walks into the church and because he didn't like the way she was dressed he began to switch his, switch his whole message and just to address this woman that walked in about how she wore mm-hmm. like this i mean about what she wore now this is what bothers me like our churches need to be better than this guys this is not something that i'm saying because i i have this vendetta against independent phone baptist churches that's not the case but i am saying that and i know that there are a lot of great independent phone baptist churches that are doing it right so i don't want to i'm going to get messages from someone that says well my independent phone baptist church is not like this don't group us all together i'm not saying that but i am saying for the independent phone baptist churches that are doing this the wrong way you need to wake up and start treating your women better you need to wake up and start doing things a lot better than the way that you're doing and that's just you know i feel like that's that's just facts to me i'm sorry i mean i don't know how else to say it you know am i wrong in in anything that i just mentioned no i mean and that's that's the thing is we have to realize that when we're from the pulpit, you know, singling out these women and telling them, oh, don't wear this, don't be a stumbling block. There are young boys that are growing up hearing this and thinking that, you know, even if I do have sex outside of marriage, you know, and even if I'm sinning, chances are she had a, had a hand in tempting yeah. me. She was a stumbling block for me. So it's her fault too, you know, and they're not taught things like consent, that it's very, very different to have a consensual relationship, even if it is outside of marriage versus you, you know, abusing someone against their will, that's very, very different, you know, and, and they're not taught that. And every time the preacher goes after women and tells them not to tempt men or be, you know, a stumbling block for men, there, there are young boys listening to that and thinking that they have some sort of ownership and right to women's bodies. And you do not. If you are a man here, and I want to let you guys just mention this to you, you don't have a right to a woman's body, and it it's not an excuse because a lot of times, you know, when a woman gets raped in um, in our culture, there's still a point of where there's a group of people that are still asking, oh, well, I know she just got raped, but what did she wear? Because it must be something that she wore that made the guy want to do. And it feels like we are always giving men an excuse, and you do not have an excuse to do whatever you want to do to women. You do not have the consent to do that, okay? And so... I think we really need to, and I think you're right on that. We need to teach consent. We need to actually be preaching that better in our in our pulpits, because you know, just because you're a man doesn't mean you can get away with and do whatever you want. Exactly, I completely agree. And it's like you said when you brought up um, the case of your friend that went to, you know, the college, and they said, you know, oh, don't say anything because this will hurt the cause of Christ. You know, that's that's something they say because. In their mind, the appearance and how their appearance is projected to the world they're trying to save is more important than this person getting justice for what happened to them. Exactly. Like the, the thing is, justice needs to be met, you know, and I think that we need to we, we can't preach that the that the wages of sin is death. We cannot preach that there's a consequence for sin. Yet when sin happens you know, from um, a preacher or a pastor or any of these different things, or even, you know, just a, a, a church member that we like, that we forget these verses. No, no, no. If someone commits a crime, 
they need to go to jail. We're not saying that God doesn't love them anymore, or we're not saying any of those other things. But what we are saying is this. If someone commits a crime, they need to go to jail, okay, 100%. And, and we don't need to be shielding abusers. We don't need to be brushing scandals underneath the rug. And you know what? Though, if we want to look at this about the world, oh man, if we start doing this, the world's going to think that, that that the church is full of abusers. No, no, no. Do you know if if the church starts owning up to this stuff, if independent phone Baptist churches start saying this is not going to happen on my watch, if independent church um, leaders and pastors, listen, don't miss your moment because if you're an independent phone Baptist pastor, you're an independent phone Baptist youth pastor, you're an independent phone Baptist church leader, and you see that report go out, you need to start preaching and start going up and saying this is not going to happen at my church because if you're supposed to be a watchman and that's what god calls you you all you spiritual leaders right now you call a watchman and if you you're supposed to be watching your flock okay and if you see that one of your flocks are being abused but if you're a pastor and you see your flock is being abused by your son you see that your pastor your, your flock is being abused by your own youth pastor that you have it's not time to hide it underneath the rug it's time to call the police get justice for for, for what happened to your congregation because you're supposed to be watching for them. You're supposed to be caring for their soul. And, it, and it's not caring for their soul by hiding this abuse. It's not caring for their soul by this by deciding, you know what, I'm just going to move this person to a whole nother church. That's not how we do things. And more people will, would want to come to your Christ. More people want to come to, to, to Jesus if we were the ones that were on the forefront saying that this is not right. That sexual assault's not right. Sexual misconduct is conduct is not right. If we were on the forefront of, of doing these things, you know, and I think that first we need to get to the point of not hiding things underneath the rug and reporting these things. That's number one. Number two, after we do these things and we start reporting more of these issues that that are that are going on, we also need to um, to help the victim. Whatever there needs to be some kind of restitution. For the victims, we need to figure out how to do that and how to handle that. And sometimes some of these things that we're talking about as solutions, we might need to start bringing more professional people inside. We need to start getting these victims to counselors, getting these people to 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 to, to get healing from these issues. Bring people in that can help us alongside, that can help our churches uh, when it comes to these issues of sexual abuse. Because this person may have done this to this person one time or two times. But yet these women and these people that have been sexually abused, they're going to have to deal with this for the rest of their lives. So we have to really be thinking about ways of helping the victims. OK, we really got to think about that. And then thirdly here, if this if the people that did these things and I, and, and I don't want to be the person that's that are, that is saying that I don't think that the, that um, these people are saved, that um, that that are abusers right we i don't want us to go that way because god you know i feel like the word of god teaches me not to condemn people or, or, or to sit back and say there's no way this person is saved however there needs to be um someone that is um working with the people that are even abusers that call themselves christians that need to be getting them right with god as well so we need every aspect of of the of these abuse abuse and allegations we need to to come head on with it and we need to not be people or not be christians that are hiding abusers or hiding any of those things because that is totally against what we need to be doing and what you said at the top of the hour and i, I forgot to we're talking about you know women and abuse and all that just now 
But when you just said that um, about the pastors, about how he's the final authority, like the only authority in the church, you're absolutely correct. I think another thing, too, is we need some accountability. I think for a lot of times for, for independent fellow Baptist circles, they're they're the king of their castle, right? The church is their castle. They're the king. And, you know, they feel like you should only come to me. I'm the only person that can handle all these things. And there's, there seems to be there's no accountability for the pastors or the leaders. And so a lot of times um, if you are a pastor or a leader in a church, you need to have some accountability. You need to have other people that you can talk to, other pastors or other pre- preachers. Because the thing is, if with this lack of accountability, with without these checks and balances, you have systemic abuse that goes on and it keeps going on and it keeps going on um, because we're not willing to, to face these things head on and have some accountability, man. And I think having accountability is so key to these issues, man, to, to help us do better at our jobs with this, man. That's what I really think. I think accountability is so important, man. What, what, what do you think about just having more accountability? I think it's definitely important. You know, as you mentioned earlier, this is not isolated incidents. This is a systemic issue. And to solve a systemic issue, you have to make changes to the system. So I think, you know, simply having an investigation and rooting out the abusers is not enough because what are you going to do to stop raising the next generation of abusers? You have to change. I think the IFB churches really need to change a lot about how they're inherently structured, the things they inherently teach. Things like, you know, the, like you said, the preacher needs to have accountability. There needs to be transparency there. You know, they need to stop treating women the way they do. They need to start teaching consent, especially to young men. There needs to be this direct change to the way that that particular brand of religion is operated and run. Else there's just going to be investigation after investigation and the cycle is exactly. going to continue. You know, we got, there's some things that you have to start um, doing differently. Because the thing is, you know, what, what's I forget what is the, the, the quote about insanity is it's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Like we've got to just yeah. there got to be some things that we change and do differently, because once we get to that point, it, it would start shaping the next generation and we can actually start um, helping the next generation instead of um, keep doing this, the same things that we've been doing. And it's just not help. It's not helping. It's not helpful. You know, because when you, when you read the article, I mean, they start off telling you about things that happened 30 years ago just to show people that this isn't just something that happened this decade. But this systemic issue has happened, you know, for the last at least the last 30 years in these independent phone Baptist circles. You know, the the churches that I've been connected with, I know of of just three, three allegations off the top of my head right now that I can think about where there were people in position of power that had sex with minors. And, you know, and these people ended mm. up having to go to jail for these issues and, and these things. And it makes me wonder, um, why is it? Because in independent phone Baptist circles, there is a lot of abuse. Like, there is a lot of um, uh, sex scandals. You know, I, there's a lot of things, okay, those are sexual... I can think of three instances off the top of my head of people that I know that they're involved in sexual abuse. But yet on top of that, I also know of sexual scandals where this person was sleeping with the other person's spouse. Like there's a lot of sexual things that that happened and went on. And it bothers me and it bugs me because 
we're so we we care so much about uh, about dress code. We care so much about music standards. But it seems like nobody is really caring about morality, about true morality for that for that case, or really caring about having a genuine relationship with God. We're just caring about having the appearance of being a good Christian instead of actually living it out and doing it. Is that does that seem fair to say? Yeah, and I, I think that they need to start really thinking of people as people instead of dividing them into, you know, oh, you're a woman, so this is how you should act. You're a man, this is how you should you should act. You know, and I think of, you know, even if you if going back to the the gay thing, you know, when they preach from the pulpit about how terrible being gay is, you know, how do you know that there's not some gay kid in the in the congregation that is hearing those words and now internally directing hatred at themselves for how they are because of what you're saying from the pulpit you know every time you cover up an abuser are you thinking about how that is impacting the victim you know instead of just worrying about your image or your brand and how that's going to appear to so and so i think they really need to get in touch with the individual the person when you decry things like you know, therapy or medication for mental health issues. Are you thinking about that person that is going through that and needs help, you know, before you judge them for something like that? So I think they really need to, you know, not only change the teachings and change the behaviors, but just really, really think about the people and what the people are going through. Exactly. You know, when they're going through these things. Because the word of God tells us to speak the truth in love. Number one, in, 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 this case for independent fall baptist well, first off we need to learn what the truth is because for many times in these in independent fall baptist circles you're teaching some things that aren't true you're teaching me that god doesn't want a woman to wear pants that's wrong you're teaching me that oh god doesn't want us to do certain things and, and the more you study the word of god you realize that the, the things that they're teaching you is not correct so because of that, first off, we need to figure out what is truth. We need to really study the word of God and really see what God really has to say. So that's number one. Find out what truth really is. Read the scriptures. Know what the truth is. Then when you speak that truth, speak the truth in love. Okay? Once the, the Bible talks about this, a, a verse everyone loves to go to, and I always talk about it. We say that the wages of sin is death. Right. But if but that's not where the verse ends. The verse ends with but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the truth is the wages of sin is death. That's truth. But then it's also grace. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's a, many times where I've preached a message and I've and, and, and for the first half of that message, people from independent from the Baptist circles may say, yeah, he. He's really preaching that Bible thing. Yeah, he's preaching it. Yeah, they may like it. But my thing is, my my emphasis is, okay, the Word of God teaches us some things. And we may see some things that that are, are sinful or see some activities that are wrong. But at the end of the day, I always, I try to end my messages with, with saying, okay, you may have seen yourself in this message. And you may have said, man, I, I, I'm seeing that I have you know messed up or I have done things that, that are wrong. But yet the Bible says in 1 John chapter number 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I teach people truth, but I also teach people grace because at the end of the day, I'm not just trying to make people feel bad, walking out of there trying feeling terrible. 
I want them to realize that even though you may have seen yourself in this message and many times I see myself in the word of God where God is sharing me or teaching me that I need to be better. I need to be better in my interaction with people. God is teaching me so much, even on this podcast, about being better with how I um, how I teach things, how I share things. But even as all of that is being true, that God is teaching me those things, I, I'm i not going to wallow in self-pity or, or, or wallow saying, man, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I, there's nothing I can do now. I'm, I'm bad. I, I have to remember the verses where God says that he's, he is faithful and he is just to forgive me of my sins. All I have to do is confess my sins to God and God will, will help me. And I think a lot of times the independent phone Baptist circles, they just love making people feel bad. All right, I'm just going to make you feel bad and never teach about people about grace. Never teach people that, hey, even though that, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you heard today about, um, I don't know, about forgiveness. About, oh, man, you may sit back and say, man, I need to forgive people better. But even though you're not you're, you're not doing it right now, God is saying that, hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here to be I'm right by your side. Confess your sins to me. And and I think a lot of times as um, Christians in our independent Baptist circles, we are a part of this cancel culture. Because if someone isn't doing it exactly the way we do it, we're like, you know what? Bump them. They must not truly be saved. Bumped. Oh, my soul. I just saw someone getting drunk. They must truly not be saved. So I'm not going to associate myself with them anymore. So we're part of this cancel culture when God is is all about sharing. Um, God is all about forgiveness, forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from unrighteousness. God is all about us growing in, in our spiritual walk with him. So I think that I think that we need to just go all the way around reshaping how we do this this Christianity thing, because just like you said, there there might be people in that church service that are struggling with different things, people in that church service that is that are dealing with things. And we got to start seeing people as people and not as just these sinful things, you know, and I think that would help us right. out so much in, in this Christian walk with God, man. The mold basically needs to be broken. I think they've the IFB churches they've created this idea of what the the perfect Christian looks like, and if you don't fit into that, then there's a problem with you. And I think they really need to ask themselves some very hard questions, step back, and challenge what the, I think it's a great thing to challenge what you yes. believe because you'll either change it for something better or you'll just reinforce what you already believe. Either way, challenging what you believe exactly. is not a bad thing. And I think they need to ask themselves some hard questions and really take the time to try to understand people that aren't like them or that don't fit into the mold that they think. And I think I told you this once that particularly with LGBT people, you know, we're a minority. Uh, uh, most people are not LGBT. So especially in churches, they, there's no vested interest for them to understand it because in their minds, Nobody in my congregation is going through this or struggling it. So in their minds, it's a given. This is bad. Move on to the next page without realizing that, you know, there is there could be someone in their congregation that is LGBT. And how are they feeling about the way that you are approaching this topic or the way that you feel about them? Even though you don't know what it's like to go through it, take the time to try to understand it and really consider is, is what the Bible says about it. Do you think you really know what the Bible says about it? Is it really is it the abomination that you say it is? Should you treat these people the way that you have been used to treating them? And I think that's one 
big area of struggle that IFB churches have is for things that are so different to them, things they don't understand, they don't often take the time to try to understand them because they don't, they don't feel the need to. They're not going through it. They don't believe this way, think this way. They think, why, why put in the effort? But I think they need to put in that effort because, you know, there are people in their church that I bet are going through what they think. Exactly. They I think we talked about this before and you, and you made a, you, you said something that was so good. You said, because most people aren't, you know, LGBT, they don't have a vested interest in their concerns. So, so because, okay, this is not something that I deal with, then what's the, the point of even trying to, to see other people's perspectives on it or, or try to learn. It? And I think, we've got to get to the point of trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes and like for independent fundamental Baptist um, churches, for the most part, they are um, mostly uh, Caucasian middle-class um, uh, people. You know, that's just, you know, what, you know, and straight, you know, uh, middle-class straight people. So because of that, they, they really only care about issues that affect those groups. And so any other people exactly. outside of that, it's like, okay, Oh, so you're a black person and you, you, you know, you are, you know, you don't have a good relationship with the, with the police or you, you, you don't, you don't really feel connected to the police that well, or, you know, what, you know, we don't feel this way. Like we have a great relationship with the police. When we call them, they come right away to us. Like we, we love them. We want to, you know, support them. So they don't understand someone that, that is um, fearful of the police or, or like every time they see them, they're like, man, I, you know, I'm afraid that I'm, you know, if something bad happening to them, well, I don't want to put myself in that shoes and their shoes, you know, I, you know, because from my perspective, this is how it is. And I don't care about anybody else's perspective. Oh, you know what? Oh man, she, you know, this, this is a woman. She's a single, a single woman. And, oh, yeah, and, and let's even t- talk about this for a second. Oh, you know, we don't want people to commit abortions, but you know what? If she's a single mom, we're going to judge her for that, though. Oh, man, uh, we don't want her to commit abortions. But, you know, but if she decides to have that child and be a single mom, we're just going to judge her for that, too. And so for so many people, there are people in our churches that are single moms are you know, you know, have different situations going on in their life. And you're preaching so hard in your pulpits and you're not even thinking about how this person is going to feel. You're not thinking about, man, there's a way for me to to teach this without affecting this, without, without hurting this person, you know, because there's a way to speak truth without being, without being a jerk. It's just the best way to say that, you know, you know, right. because I remember um, Je- Jefferson Betsky, he, he made this statement. He said, the gospel is offensive, but sometimes we're jerks. Don't blame it on the first when it's really the second. And a lot of times, we're sitting back and we, you know, the Bible sometimes, there's some things in the Bible that I don't like because sometimes the Bible tells me about how I should act. The Bible tells me that I should forgive this person. Well, you know what? I don't want to forgive that person right now. You know, the Bible tells me certain things that I don't want to do. And, um, and so we got to get to the point of saying, okay, even though the Bible, you know, may have things that, you know, are, are tough to hear, we, that doesn't give us a right to be jerks about it. It doesn't give us a right to sit back and say, well, you know what? I'm going to say how I feel about it. Tough luck. Take it or leave it. This is how I'm going to say it. That's not how God wants us to act because there's so many times in the word of God where God is teaching us or God is sharing with us the right way to to share topics, the right way to, you know, um, he teaches us the right way to, to handle our speech. And yet we are on the other side going, no, we're just going to say how we feel about this. And we're not even we don't even care about hurting people in our churches. And I feel like that is such a huge 
huge problem. Right. I mean, in a culture that's run by, like you said, straight, cisgender, white men, they've created uh, an environment that is very comfortable for cisgender, straight, white men, but not so comfortable for everyone else. You know, and I think that they really need to step outside of that bubble and really break it and just say, look at all the other people that live in the world. How can I care about them and how can I make sure that they're taken care of and not abused and, you know, so on and so forth. Exactly, man. I think that um, I think that we and for people that are listening here, I know that they're going to be people that are going to hit me up and they're going to um, ask me certain questions, man. It's OK. I mean, you can disagree with anything that me and Steven, you know, we're talking about today. And there are, and I know that there's some people here that want me to um, be this fire and brimstone guy when talking about issues like homosexuality and, uh, and, and, and everything like that. And, and guys, I'm not that guy. So if you guys are listening to this, I'm not that guy. Um, I am going to talk about what, you know, how I feel about the subject of homosexuality. But at the same time, I want people to know this um, as well. I want to be someone who cares about all people. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be people that are sharing the gospel to the world. And that world is not just American people. This world is not the the world that God wants us to talk to. is not just um, Caucasian, straight, middle class and, and, and above people. The gospel is supposed to be for everybody. And so I am this goal for for me sharing about why you know teach talking to people why they left the church is for us as christians to evaluate how we do this church thing steven man does any of that man that 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 we we talked about i think we talked about enough but is there anything else that you want to like share to like you know people that are going to church now that you think that could be beneficial anything else i mean i think all I can say is just really challenge yourself, you know, do an inventory of self, you know, challenge what you believe, find out why you believe it. And, and I think keep an open mind and an open heart, you know, they're, they're, the world is full of many, many different kinds of people. The world has a lot of diversity in it. And, you know, I just, I just hope that we all can work together to create an environment that isn't harming some of those people. Exactly, man. So guys, um, you know, you're listening to this podcast and you're like, man, this guy's weird. Man, this guy's a pastor kid. You're absolutely right. This is a weird pastor kid podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Peace.